On today's episode, gear up as Murphy and I assess our preparedness. This is The Hard Move. Hello, and welcome to The Hard Move, a Powered by the Apocalypse discussion podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Gravelin, and with me today is Murphy. How you doing? I'm all right, Matthew. How you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there. We've had to reschedule a couple of times because apparently a plague has befallen my family and everybody (laughs) keeps getting sick, so thank you for your flexibility. No worries. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Why don't you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and where they might know you from? Hey, folks. uh, I'm Murphy. It's very likely that you don't know me. Um, I only have uh, one project called Table Tales with some friends, and I'm relatively new to the uh, tabletop community. Yeah, so Table Tales is uh, an actual play, yeah? Yep, actual play RPG podcast, uh, and uh, we can plug that later. They're they're not important. (laughs) Great. Uh, All right, well, hey, let's just jump right into it then. Why don't you go ahead and name our move? All right, I've got a move uh, from the game Monster of the Week. Uh, It is a move by the expert, and the move is called Preparedness. Would you like me to read the definition? Yeah, go right ahead. All right, so preparedness is uh, when you need something unusual or rare. Roll plus sharp. On a 10 plus, you get it, and you have it right here, right now. On a 7 to 9, you have it, but it is not here. It will take some time to get it. On a miss, you know where it is, but it is somewhere bad. I I love Monster of the Week because all of the moves, top to bottom, are super thematic and super, <laughs> uh, you know... They really buy into this serialized, you know, monster of the week TV (laughs) type of narrative. And this is just that. This is, you know, exactly that episode where, oh, I just happen to have that in my desk drawer, right? Yeah. And it's that kind of TV writing where, well, we could spend the whole episode talking about how he got the Staff of Ra from the tomb when he was (laughs) an archaeologist. But but that's not the point. Like, that's not the show we're doing today. The show today is how we're going to use the Staff of Ra to banish this ancient demon. Oh, yeah. It's a good way to flex your knowledge of uh, the monsters of that week. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, with the expert, you know, they're the they're supposed to be the uh, weaker one, but they have that technological advantage of just having those uh, rare items that are able to aid you in killing these bad boys. Yeah, for sure. So this is one of the expert moves. There are, what, about eight, six or eight moves here that the um, expert can start with. Uh, you yeah. get two to begin with. You can get more through advancements. And... I, I've never played the expert, so I don't know how it feels to start playing an expert specifically, mm-hmm. but my gut tells me that when a brand new player comes to this game and they want to play the expert, I feel like this one might get overlooked. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was perfect for me. Um, I had never played games like this, like uh, Dungeons and Dragons especially, and, and this game too, until about uh, maybe the summer of last year, so summer 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, where my friends were like, "Hey, we want to we want to get some tabletop games going on together, play every week or so." And uh, I was like, "Yeah, that's too too hard for a simpleton like me." But um, I thought this was perfect. This uh, the expert was perfect for me, just because it was a way I could I don't want to say meta game, but just use my knowledge I have of uh, shows like Supernatural and Doctor Who, and use it in the narrative sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's actually 
a really good call out because in a lot of games, D&D especially, metagaming is frowned upon. When the <laughs> player takes a step back and says, oh, well, if I make this wisdom roll, I have a better chance of doing it. And here they've come up with a very creative way to incent and encourage metagaming because that's what this is. This is just like you can have the literal thing you need at a moment's notice if you use this mechanic and you use this mechanic again at the expense of having access to any of these other moves. So I think that's really great and an interesting call out that you would, you know, as a new player, this was something that you you latched onto. Yeah, um, I have an example of a time I used it. Yeah, hit me. Our DM Thomas was uh, narrating to us, we found a body. And he said, in the body, there's a uh, uh, two holes on its neck, and it's been drained of all its blood. Now, in this world he had created, people don't really realize, I guess, that some things like magic are real. So why would you believe that a vampire exists? Now, since I was the expert slash Murphy metagaming, my first thought was, I need to roll preparedness for some garlic. And I was able to uh, uh, get a clove of garlic from my good roll. Nice. Yeah, and and this also, one of my least favorite things in role-playing games is having to go to town and buy, you know, 60 (laughs) feet of rope and a bunch of torches and oil so the lamp doesn't run out. And that's not fun or interesting at all. Yeah. And this is another way where you can kind of mechanically hand wave that and say, let's not focus on going shopping unless there's something interesting in the store or the clerk is a werewolf or whatever. (laughs) Like then that's fine. We'll go do a shopping, you know, scene. But by and large, those shopping scenes are always like the most agonizing part of a role-playing game. And moves like this are really interesting to me because they not only do away with that uninteresting scene, but they give you a way to still come out on top with exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And the other thing is this move is really mechanically light. You either have it (laughs) or you have it, but it's not here or you don't have it and it's hard to get. So like, it's really, there's not a lot of interpretation required for this role. Yeah. It's a lot of yes. And so it's, even if you fail, it's like, yeah, it's here, but you have to go through literal hell to go get it. And I think like this could be, this role could start a new side quest, you know? Oh, oh I yeah. do need the staff of Ra. Well, you know, it's locked in this tomb. Great. Now we have to go get it out of that tomb because that we've, by doing this role, we've kind of already decided that it is a necessary item. We can't just say, oh, I desperately need the staff of Ra. Bad role. Oh, I guess we don't technically need it anymore. Well, yeah. nope, you still need it, but now we know it's somewhere bad. So that's kind of also part of the risk here is that as the expert, you're the expert. You have to say the thing is important. And if you roll poorly, then guess what? You just said the important thing is somewhere real bad. Oh, yeah. Again, this could be anything. So, you know, it could be the staff of Ra. It could be a clove of garlic. It could be medicine to help, you know, your poisoned ally. This could be gear to scale a wall and break into a facility. This can be used literally every game. True. And uh, I know I, I did use it almost every session with uh, when our, our DM was, uh, Thomas was handling the, the show. Sometimes he didn't necessarily want me to use it, not because it was more so he didn't want me to use it as a crutch. And I think that's mm-hmm. very fair, just because you shouldn't be able to do, okay, I have the MacGuffin now. I think that this move should be balanced a little bit, just with both player and DM uh, understanding. Like, don't just 
Oh, like, oh, there's only one mystical item that could save the day. Now it's like, oh, not so fast. I have it. It should be uh, mm-hmm. more so for the little things like the garlic, like, uh, oh, I've got a silver mm-hmm. bullet for this werewolf. Things like that as opposed to game breaking. I have the God staff, you know? Right. Although I do, there's a part of me as as a GM that's ready to take that gamble, depending on what your sharp score is. I could take that gamble and again and say, oh, you want to have the God staff? Great. Roll <sighs> it. Oh, a six. Guess what? You're never, you you actually now have to go to literal hell <laughs> to get the God staff. Good luck with that. Oh, yeah. And, and you can never take that back. You can never down the road say, oh, it was in my closet all along. Oh, it was like, oh, the God <laughs> staff is like somewhere. No, we know where it is now. You rolled mm-hmm. poorly. So I do think that there's a, a kind of a swing to this where it can get overpowered. So again, back to that metagaming thing, if you're the type of person who's looking to break the game and just say, I'm going to roll this roll every single time to have exactly what I need at a moment's notice, maybe, I mean, I don't know why that'd be fun, to be honest, (laughs) but if that's that's the game you're into, you know, if everybody else is into it, fine, I guess. I tried to be balanced with it. I I know I, I used it a lot in the first two sessions i think we had the two big sessions we had and Mm -hmm. i tried to use it a little more sparingly afterwards and uh, sometimes i kind of forgot about it and sometimes it's just good for a a funny bit oh yeah absolutely you know and you mentioned kind of yes anding this is a very improv move like you could do this you again you could do this with anything you could just say oh you lost your wallet i have your wallet right Mm -hmm. like it could be just as simple as that it could just be you know, oh, my friend here for like wants lunch. Like I, I met this cool werewolf and he wants lunch. Do I have $10 on me? And you roll. Sure enough, I have $10. Or better yet, you roll a seven to nine and you're like, well, I don't have $10 to buy you lunch. But if you help me collect cans for a minute, like we'll go get you some lunch. And now you're collecting bottles and cans with a werewolf to go buy lunch. Yeah, hopefully they're not silver cans. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this, this roll could be easily manipulated in that way yeah but i don't think i would like this move as much if the author had written it in such a precise way to technically discourage that because then the people who want to use it to get ten dollars to buy a werewolf lunch might have trouble with it and you want the guy you want a guy buying a werewolf lunch like anytime (laughs) that can happen like you want to facilitate such a narrative so that's true yeah, so mechanically, not a lot here to dissect. It's it's a great improv move. Um, it is something, it is an option. So, you know, when you're starting your expert, weigh it against the other moves and see what you want to play it as. Narratively, though, again, this move could be the door to a virtually limitless number of scenarios. Oh, yeah. You know, you, ha- you happen to have that garlic, and I'm sure that garlic was applied to great success in that moment. Do you remember mm-hmm. a time where you tried to use this role... And it went very poorly, and that changed the narrative in a meaningful way? Oh, yeah, I think so. There was a, especially when I used it in the beginning, I, my character, the expert, was um, trying to make him like technologically savvy. So I would say, you know, we were chasing some guys in a car. We needed some sort of uh, way to track them. I thought I could have a uh, drone or something to follow them. And mm-hmm. uh, I tried to roll the preparedness for it because I never claimed that I had it before. Didn't roll well enough. And uh, the DM said, you have a drone. It is not here. It is somewhere bad. And it ended up being like in a 
a bad supermarket or something that we had to go uh, get it, but we had already lost the, the people we were chasing. So stuff like that. And like you said, it could be used for side questing purposes. I like that idea a lot, actually. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing here is that there's a lot of narrative um, potential for the GM with the seven to nine and the failure. Again, it could take some time to get it or it's somewhere real bad. Mm. Did you, the way you played it anyway, do you feel like you, if you got that six minus or if you got that seven to nine, was that a thing that just dissuaded you from getting the thing altogether or did you usually go and take that time or go deal with that bad situation or was that kind of a mixed bag i'd say it was more mixed there was definitely times where i really wanted something i rolled didn't get it so but there was a lot more important things at hand and and the way our dm structured it was so that and, and the way i even requested these things were not necessarily game breaking or that important. It was just, this is an avenue I want to take to maybe make our journey easier. And I would fail. So it's like, all right, well, I guess, uh, you know, tough luck. We're going to have to do this the hard way. We're going to have to kill this monster or bare hands or whatever, you know? Yeah, for sure. There's nothing in here specifically about harm or consequences, but as a part of the GM's toolkit, there's always these hard moves that they could throw at a player when oh, yeah. they have a, a miss. Do you have any examples of your GM possibly throwing something even worse at you when you failed this role, or was that was he a little lighter on it? Oh yeah, he loved to torture me. Thomas loved to, to <laughs> torture me. Uh, just because he knew I wanted to use this move a lot, so he wanted to make sure that there was some balance to it. Sure. There was a time where... Uh, <laughs> I wanted something that would have helped us with, you know, defeating a monster. And, you know, maybe it was like some sort of automated weapon, some sort of robot. My, the character I had had a bunch of uh, technology stuff. And there was once mm-hmm. where we, uh, I tried to have some sort of defense robot. And instead of when I, I rolled bad for it, instead of just saying, oh, it's not here. It was, it's here and it's turned against you. So I don't think it has to be oh, so strict. <laughs> that it's oh too bad it's not here and that, and that right there is its own little side quest oh now the, the monster or the robots against us you know yeah those failing successes are my favorite thing to do as a gm you know? <laughs> whenever a person because i mean there there's a level of metagaming that cannot be avoided when a player rolls and fails they understand that a bad thing is about to happen <laughs> And what, what I love doing is saying, you know, oh, I'm, lo- I f- I'm looking for my defense robot. I'm sure I put it in the trunk of my car. And they roll a, a six and I'd be like, yep, it's in your car. It's right there. What do you want to do with it? And they're like, oh, wait, no, something is very wrong. Yep. Something bad <laughs> is about to happen to me. So, yeah, I I love saying yes. It's just like, yeah, what, literally whatever you want. You want the God Staff? Guess what? You rolled a six. You still have the God Staff. You sure you want to turn it on? <laughs> now you're cursed. Right. Let's see what happens. You know, I, that's the thing is I don't think there's the worst case scenario here is they like finish the session early. Right. Like that's probably the absolute worst that's going to happen. And they have to get a 10 plus to do it. Best end on those cliffhangers. Right. And then also, you know, we've talked a lot about having weapons or having, like I said, I said earlier, medicines, having these things is not inherently being able to use them. Oh, yeah. Because, again, like you said, the expert is supposed to be this kind of studious person. You know, they're they're in the know, but 
they're not the ones fighting monsters. They're not mm-hmm. probably trained in hand-to-hand combat or with deep firearms knowledge. So even if they did have a silver bullet... Oh, yeah. They can't shoot it. Yeah. Are they going to have the gun for it? And even if they have the gun for it, are they going to shoot it well? So my my gut says that this leads to other moves that then can actually have the effect. So, you know, you want the God Staff... I can't remember the name, whatever the, the generic magic basic move is in this system. And I, I know one's called big magic and we love to use that. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. It's just use magic. See that that's good. good (laughs) Yeah. I'm overcomplicating things. So yeah, you have the God staff, but the expert still then has to roll use magic, which by definition, they may not have the stats for, or again, if, if you have something like the God staff, you probably have to go with the big magic. And then that has a whole ritual and preparation that goes into it. So having the God staff is not just enough. So I think in terms of, you know, like you were saying, how does the GM keep this in check is having the MacGuffin (laughs) isn't the end of the story. I mean, that's, kind of what the point is like as soon as if all i had to do was touch it and then the game was over that would be very fun oh yeah so i'm imagining there's a lot of use magic comes after this or again you you get the silver bullet you still got to kick some ass Mm -hmm. to actually do something with it yeah when you use this move what were some of the like the moves that followed that you would do and was that more of a you have the thing now you have to wait to use it or did you normally just kind of roll right into doing something with it i think when i rolled preparedness and i got the thing i wanted i think i personally got too excited uh and i wanted to just you know use the magic or use the item now and without even realizing what my stats were which is I mean, I guess uh, a way of not metagaming. But so, for instance, my my tough was was bad. I had a negative tough. Of course, I'm a I'm a bookworm. I'm not supposed to be lifting right. weights. So I would uh, roll to get the preparedness for the awesome item. I'd get it. I get the perfect score. I get a 14 or whatever, and I want to use it. And then he'll say, my GM will say, "All right, roll tough." And I immediately just, oh, I can't go back now. <laughs> and then I screw up the roll. And, mm-hmm. and what was great about, um, you know, my GM Thomas was, uh, we're all like big movie nerds and stuff. We love, uh, movies like the Coen brothers where we're always thinking about what could go wrong. And if you ever watch a Coen brothers movie, everything mm-hmm. goes wrong at every point. And, but that makes the story more interesting, which is why I always thought when I rolled poorly, yeah, I hated it, but something awesome or interesting was about to happen. Something challenging. And I think that's just something, uh, you know, GM should be looking for is what's something interesting that could go wrong without just saying, oh, you died. Yeah. And I think that's that is such a big problem and and such a downfall for GMs of every system is harm is an easy fallback. Yeah. And sometimes it's a, it's appropriate. You know, if you're trying to turn on a God staff after a six minus roll, yeah, probably something's going to get hurt. Oh, yeah. But. That being said, is that the most interesting thing that could happen? Almost always it's not. Yeah. Turning on the God Staff and resurrecting the monster from last episode is <laughs> way more interesting than letting you take harm. You will take harm. <laughs> like, Don't get me wrong. Harm is coming. Or use the God Staff and accidentally transport one of your allies to another plane of existence, right? Like that's so much more interesting. And now you have a very cool side quest. And ruin your day. 
Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> being forcibly transferred to another realm by a god staff is not generally something people are looking forward to. Oh no, not not my guy, definitely not. No. <laughs> so, was there any other aspects of preparedness that you wanted to talk about, or was there any other application of this move that you wanted to share? If you were an expert play monster mm-hmm. of the week, what would you want to be using preparedness for, Matthew? Yeah, you know, again, I I always I look at what my gut response is, and in this case it's weapons, and then I go, okay, <laughs> don't ever do that. Oh, yeah. Because it's more interesting to do something else. And yeah, this is like the player would have to take on this handcuff is just to say, I'm going to look for parts of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I'm going to look for like the headpiece of the God staff, or I'm going to look for the, you know, the rod of the God staff, or I'm going to look for the tome that tells you how to access it. And I'm going to like spend a lot of my time really leaning into that episodic yet threaded narrative of my character has a goal. My character's goal is to get the God staff because he's absolutely certain it can save the world from everything. So it's really just a bunch of side quests Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm distracted from what we're really trying to do because I'm always looking for the God staff pieces or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really, it can be as big or as little as the player wants it to be. And for me, I would make it big and i would probably i'd probably use it for like again finding 10 bucks to take a werewolf to lunch but in a big way i would probably limit myself to doing it like once a session or once per you know once per monster once once an episode to say okay did i find a piece of the god staff on this adventure or is that next episode yeah and certainly when i roll those sixes something bad (laughs) is going to happen from me snooping around for this you know, the pieces of this God staff, you know, whether it's supernatural or these God staff cultists catch wind of it, or maybe the government catches on to what I'm doing. Who knows? Yeah. And what I like about this, and especially your answers too, is uh, the way I play is, is less more, less game oriented and more so narrative. Cause I think that's what myself and uh, you know, Thomas, Eric and Adam all try to do together. when we're, when we're playing is more so making an engaging story. And when stuff goes wrong, I mean, that's when the most interesting stuff comes out of it. And that's where we're able to expand upon, all right, how is this person going to react to under pressure? They wanted the thing that was going to save them, but uh, in a cruel twist of fate, it is now the thing that is causing them more problems, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I really like that of the uh, narrative based. So Yeah, and I think that's just a testament to PBTA games in general. You know, they're supposed to be more narratively driven games. So... A move like this, you know, I do a lot of writing for D&D. Yeah. If I wrote a move like this for D&D, nobody would buy it. <laughs> There's not enough rules here. There. And 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 exactly, I think what we what we've already touched on several times is the immediate response to this would be it's too powerful because it could be literally anything. Yeah. And again, I don't the the whole point of these role-playing games and these these cooperative storytelling games is if somebody at your table is really there to try and ruin it for everybody, why is he mm-hmm. at your table? Yeah. Right? Like, if you can't trust your players with this move, then maybe you have a larger conversation to be attending to. Uh, metagaming uh, outside the table, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the meta-metagaming. <laughs> Stop griefing my game. Right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, on, on the surface, I think this move 
it can be scary. It can be scary to a GM because, oh God, they're going to, they're just going to find the God staff and kill my precious monster. But you know what? Yeah, they'll kill your werewolf, but oh, what now the God wants his staff back. Yeah. You know, so there's always, there's always somewhere to go. And from a player's standpoint, if you want to keep getting invited back to a table, don't be that person, you know, use these moves <laughs> in the spirit that they're presented. Oh yeah. You know, this move is here because the expert is supposed to be a collector. They're supposed to have artifacts. They're supposed to have knowledge. They're supposed to have exactly the thing that they need. And that again is just part of this episodic serial TV show type of theme that monster of the week is really leaning into. And oh, yeah. You can't always stop the action and have a, you know, four day quest to go find something. You know, it's just more fun to have it there. You're really making me want to play a uh, uh, monster of the week again. It's been too long. <laughs> I love that game. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's, it's definitely top of my list. It's one of my top five favorite systems, even outside of PBTA. I just, I love, I love how they merge this paranormal, vaguely horror action oriented and yet it still all feels very lighthearted and accessible oh yeah i just think he's done a wonderful job yeah. you know putting this game together yeah look yeah just like uh supernatural buffy doctor who type stuff that right. quite literal monster of the week absolutely yeah i think it's a perfect name too honestly like oh yeah it could have it could have had like a really clever subtle name but this is the, that's the right name for this game. That that is exactly what this game is. Like those uh, a serialized crime drama where it's literally the bad guy of the week. And I, I really mm-hmm. do think this name is so clever. Just monster of the week. That's that's so funny. Yeah, you know what you're getting. Yeah. All right. Any other parting thoughts on preparedness? Then preparedness and, and uh, monster of the week. I would highly recommend it for anyone who's new and maybe thinks this is uh, all these tabletop games, especially something like D and D. I was so overwhelmed with it, but by the idea of it, that was the first tabletop game I played. Then they showed me monster of the week and I was like, this is perfect. Two dice. I don't got to do math. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Very welcoming. Awesome. All right. Uh, Murphy, do you have any, you know, plugs you'd like to make any projects you're working on or links you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh, if you don't mind, uh, most importantly, we're trying to get people to listen to our, our dang podcast. Uh, we're called table tales. You can find us at Twitter at our table tales. Um, I am, we're currently doing our second big season. I'm the DM or GM. Currently we're playing apocalypse world. Last season was a show called Providence where we played monster of the week and our GM was uh, Thomas. And I hope that he is one of your next guests. I need him to be on this show because he's a very smart guy. And I think you'd, uh, you two would hit it off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Give him my email. Tell him to, to hit me up. I, I would love to have him on. I've heard uh, this is the second time uh, I've had somebody from table tales on the show and I've yeah. heard nothing but good things about this Thomas character. So I think it's incumbent on me now to, <laughs> to, you know, get in touch with them and chat with them myself. And uh, the last plug is my own Twitter uh, is at Jesus underscore H underscore Pharaoh, which is its own uh, podcast itself. But uh, we got We got to wrap it up, Matthew, right? All right. <laughs> we got we got time, man. We got time. We got all the time in the world. All right. For the next 30 minutes, I'm going to go over my uh, my. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to a podcast within a podcast. Uh, welcome to Murphy's time to tell his story. <laughs> awesome. Well, Murphy, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing this, uh, what I believe to be overlooked move and rekindling my ever-burning love for <laughs> Monster of the Week. Thank you for having me, Matthew.
Absolutely. And thank you, listeners. Uh, I appreciate your support. I'm just launching a Patreon, which you can check out at patreon.com slash the hard move. Uh, I would love to do more content, get more guests on, increase the quality of the show. So please go give that a look. And if you have a couple spare dollars, please consider supporting me there. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye. The Hard Move is hosted and produced by Matthew Gravelin. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Hard Move and support the show at patreon.com slash The Hard Move. Music is by Nick Gravelin. You can find his work at nickgravelin.com. Content featured in this episode is from Monster of the Week by Michael Sands. For more information, visit evilhat.com.